0: Some people think little girls should be seen and not heard. One,
1: two, three, four! People do feel very radically different about gender experience. I
2: mean, that's just like the rules of feminism.
1: That diversity is like the number one thing I think that has to be reckoned with. Agenda, with women in the arts. Good morning, you're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio, your Saturday morning fix of art, politics, news news. And trash from a feminist perspective. I'm Isabel Hawthorne, And I'm Katie Winton.
3: This morning we're asking you how you split the bill on a first date. A recent American study found that 59% of hetero women um, agreed that men should pay on the first date. So we're talking about that a little bit later in our Thoughts That Count segment, but we want to know what you think. Who should pay the bill on a first date in any relationship? Text us on 0409 945 945.
1: We'll also have all the week's news from a feminist perspective in Go Home, Everything is Terrible. We're also going to recap the amazing results from the US this Tuesday that saw several minority and LGBT um, candidates win local elections, two openly transgender candidates win races, as well as the first Sikh mayor of uh, New Jersey and the first African-American win mayoral positions in many major uh,
3: cities. Uh, make sure you stick around for our interview with photographer Liz Ham to talk about Punk Girls, which is a book that is being launched very soon. Um, it's a documentation of the Australian punk movement in its many guises and most importantly, the female identifying people that inhabit the punk scene.
1: More about that later in the show but right now here's the new single from Rainbow Chan it's called The Creator from her upcoming EP Fabrica due to be released on November 17th we're really excited about that and it was premiered on FBI earlier this week um, and this is what Rainbow had to say about the track. So the creator is uh, is not about any one individual, but it's a response to normalised gendered behaviour. Drawing from the lived experiences of all the women around me, tired, frustrated, yet resilient, our stories roll into a single gesture of re- resistance through song. Every time a woman is interrupted, undermined or silenced by a man, our cry becomes stronger. We don't need a validation or your weak regurgitations of things we already know. Of course, these gendered relationships Relations don't fit neatly into a binary, and I extend this message to include trans and non binary individuals around me. The Creator was written for us to disturb the norm, to give us a song to sing when our confidence falters, and to lay down the loam for us and only for us to bloom. Such a good track. Such a good quote. (laughs) Yeah, so
3: many hard hitting uh, parts of this track. I think my favorite is when she says, I'm not made from your rib. Anyway, it's really great. Let's take a listen to it. You're on Agenda on FBI Radio.
2: Me. You, you didn't know, know.
3: Chan just there with her new single, The Creator. You're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio with myself, Katie Winton, and Isabel Hawthorne.
1: So it's been a year since Trump was elected, and we've all been asking ourselves, I guess, whether his election signaled the beginning of the end for kind of human decency, I guess. And it's really hard to tell if the kind of late night criticisms and internet activism is doing anything to turn it around. But I think this Tuesday, it seemed as though The resistance is real in a kind of tangible way.
3: Yeah, we saw democratic victories across the United States gaining key state legislative seats with two governments and full control of the state governments of New Jersey and Washington where they'll have wide power to enact their agendas.
1: And they're pretty good agendas because several minority and LGBT candidates won local elections, two openly transgender candidates won races, as well as the first Sikh mayor in New Jersey and the first African-American mayors in a bunch of cities. Uh, So Danica Rome defeated incumbent delegate um, Bob Marshall, who had been elected 13 times over 26 years for a seat in the Virginia House of Delegates. When Rome takes office, she'll be the first openly transgender candidate to be elected and serve in a state legislative body. And if that, as if that wasn't impressive enough, she's also the front woman of a metal band called Cab Ride Home. And they so, are like,
3: very metal. <laughs> so good. Um, we should also note that Althea Garrison, elected in Massachusetts, became the first openly transgender person to serve in a state legislati- legislature, um, but did not campaign as an openly, openly transgender person during her race in 92
1: yeah, and in Helena, Montana, the state's capital, elected progressive candidate Wilmot Collins as mayor um, and seating incumbent Jim Smith, who was elected, who held the office since 2001. So Collins and his wife, Maddie, came to the United States as refugees from Liberia in the 90s, escaping the civil war there.
3: Yeah, I feel like every time you open Facebook or turn on the TV, there's this sense of dread um, because things keep getting from bad to worse, I guess, and that goes for here in Australia as well with the treatment of people in Manus Island at the moment and the cruelty of the marriage equality debate. It's it's pretty easy to feel quite defeated.
1: Yeah, which is why it's so important to celebrate the victories. And you can read a lot of articles um, about how these recent kind of uh, wins shouldn't be read too much into basically because we're still doomed. But I think you can take a little <laughs> bit of hope from these. <laughs> if there is, there's like a lot of articles like that saying that it won't make a difference for the next election. Um, but I think that, that just like the optics of it are so lovely and you can kind of repeat it to yourself the next time Trump does something really awful. There's in Kansas, uh, Michelle Dilla-Ela became the first city's first Hispanic mayor and the second woman to be elected in the office. Transgender candidate Lisa Middleton was elected um, to the Palm Springs, California City Council, becoming the first transgender person elected to a non-judicial office in the state. Transgender candidate Tyler Titus won a seat on the school board in Erie, Pennsylvania, becoming the first transgender person elected to the office in the state. Seattle elected its first openly lesbian mayor, Jenny Durkham. Uh, Mary Parham-Copeland, who is black, became middle... um, I'm really angry with some very hokey kind of town names here, but uh, Georgia's first female mayor, Statesboro, Georgia, Cairo, Georgia, and Georgetown, South Carolina, all elected their first African-American mayors, um, and Kathy Marilla was elected the first Latina mayor of Santa Barbara, California. So you can say it doesn't mean anything, but I don't know, I feel like that...
3: Yeah, I feel like it's it's important more in terms of representation, right? Like, mm. and in terms of um, people who are in those positions, being able to kind of not speak for a demographic of people, but to have a more kind of um, nuanced, I guess, I guess, kind of representation in terms of politics is really important.
1: Yeah, and I think that some people, even within the Democratic Party, are saying that identity politics won't save the Democratic Party, but it's even causing people within the Republican Party to kind of look at themselves. And one of the um, observations from a lot of old school Republicans was that the party needs to go back to being a mainstream conservative, to being mainstream conservatives and run on issues like education, jobs and transportation instead of sanctuary cities and Confederate statues. Um, they will not. Um, so it's kind of, I think that's good. It's like good to make politics less about hate and more about policies. Um, and this, the, this kind of like wave of results is reinforcing that for de- Democrats and Republicans, I think. Um, yeah. So I think, I don't know, I'm putting that into the good, good week. Kind yeah. Of. <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's small bits of semi positive news from Agenda this week. And we're yeah. going to be catching you up on the rest of the week's news from a feminist perspective in our segment Go Home Everything is Terrible. After this new track from Sampa the Great, it's called Black Girl Magic. You're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio.
0: Come magic, carpet bitch styling. who like magic, excellence. Poof, you need reminding. Getting round and losing charm. Ooh my word, she back again. You will never end the rain. We keep multiplying. Running through the evidence. There's just no denying. Some be bad but sure, it just keep on shining. Ooh that lady got some lip From my mama, got the gift. We just pour some peace in it. At least we keep on trying. Ah. Hold on my youth, hold on my
4: youth. I told you I was coming. Give gave you for one name, for I'm just for one name Hold on my youth, hold on my youth I told you I
0: No I was light in a concert And I spent my voice, I was choked and belittle Then I resurrected part 2 as the sequel No, I'm not your voice, I just wanna be equal Gotta stand tall, we the ones, we the people Look me in the eyes, this the cards you have been dealt I don't need your table, I can shit by myself Poof! Let's take it back again Back, back to Africa Matriarchy is a fake Black women per capita Aye, I, I capitan You remain my queen I saw it in my mother When I saw it in a dream All Holy Spirit, how is she? You disrespect the womb Where life all come from And it is to whom? Your praises too Or your races is too They pushy like they la like shop then kudos to you Da nah.
4: oh.
1: To Agenda on FBI Radio. It's
3: now time for our feminist news segment. Go home, everything (laughs) is terrible. Um, We're also asking you this week who you think should pay for the bill on a first date. Please text us your thoughts in time for our. Uh, Thoughts That Count segment after this 0409 945 945 So in this week's news um, NAIDOC Week 2018 which is National Aboriginal and Islander Day Observance Committee will celebrate the invaluable contributions that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women have made and continue to make to Australian communities, families and to Australian history So the theme will be Because of Her We Can in NAIDOC Week 2018 and it will be held nationally from Sunday 8th of July and continue through to Sunday 15th of July. So the theme is about recognising that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women play active and significant roles at community, local, state and national levels.
1: Yeah, it's such a beautiful theme and I think um, social media has kind of shown that it's everyone's picking it up and is excited about it. So it's going to be really, really nice. Um, In more good news, Sia... Oh, I guess, yeah, it's good news. (laughs) Sia Furler made a very cool power move against One Pepper Art. So after she discovered that he had taken the naked naked photos of her without her permission and had attempted to sell them, so she diffused the demand and obviously the value of these images by releasing them herself. (laughs) Posting the images on Twitter, Sia wrote, Someone is apparently trying to sell naked photos of me to my fans. Save your money. Here it is for free. Every day is Christmas. I love that so, <laughs> so much. So cool.
3: um, also, in news, uh, Facebook now wants to make it harder for men to post nu- nude photos, nude photos, of, nude. <laughs> of women without their consent, which is often referred to as revenge porn. Since the people who do this are likely to be ex partners attempting to damage the person's reputation or impress their friends, um, so Facebook's latest answer to that is to ask women to upload naked photos of themselves to Facebook via Messenger, um, and Facebook's AI software would then have to read the image and assign it a secret code um the the abc kind of reported this last week which is yeah bananas cool facebook (laughs) so a couple of
1: weeks we a couple of weeks ago we talked about algorithmic cruelty and how the tech industry has a lot of kind of racist and sexist kinks that it needs to iron out but even without like reading up on that i don't think anyone's in a hurry to send their nudes off to absolutely not and on a serious note asking women who have been victims um to upload naked photos of themselves is like pretty insensitive and it's not particularly trauma-informed either so like when a naked photo of a person is circulated without their consent it can be really emotionally imp- and um, professionally ruinous and so re- then requesting for that person I mean it says woman but it's f- for all people um, to relive that trauma is a is kind of a weird move on it's, Facebook yeah. and it's kind of like reflects that kind of lack of sensitivity in tech industries in general, I think, to be like, well, just send me your notes
3: and we'll figure it all <laughs> yeah. out. It's like, oh, and then no, we'll stop other thanks. people posting them. Like, yeah, yeah. But also why would you trust Facebook with your, you know, Absolutely. like after all of the kind of um, mm. like algorithmic kind of, I don't know, Insensitivity. Insensitivity that Facebook has had mm. in the past. There is absolutely no way that anyone would send their naked photos to Facebook as a security measure. No. no. Like yeah, eh, anyway. Um. In beauty pageant news, considering we have a weekly beauty pageant I feel segment now, like at least now, month, <laughs> a
1: month, we we like refer yeah. to it. Um, There's a lot
3: going on in beauty pageants. There is. Um. A beauty queen in the Philippines re- expertly replied to hosts at a recent beauty pageant when they asked her about her relationship status. So during the interview portion of the contest, Maria Isabel was asked whether she had a boyfriend. Um, um, and she said yes, but not a girlfriend, but a, not a, not a boyfriend, but a girlfriend. And replied um, because I believe love does not see gender, and if you love someone, go for it. And she, which is kind of nice. Yeah. I Very feel cool. There's
1: just like so much wisdom being de- being dropped in being yeah. at the moment. It's really heartening. What else is heartening is that Germany's top court has ruled that there must be the option of a register of registering a gender that is neither male nor female on birth certificates, which will make Germany the first European country to allow parents to designate their intersex offspring as a, th- a third gender. Which is really That's really good, good, good news. and avoids a lot of um, uh, trauma, I guess, and um, yeah, allows for a lot more self kind of. Assertion.
3: Um, I guess we need to talk about Louis C.K. news, right? I feel like we probably do. So um,
1: so more men have been identified in the wake of the Weinstein scandal and one of the not particularly surprising accusations was levelled against Louis C.K. So I say not surprising because these stories have been circulating for a few years now and you've probably heard about the rumours. Um, and the initial woman who came forward was treated so poorly um, when she came out, I think, three years ago. Um, and now the New York Times has published the allegations of sexually inappropriate behaviour towards five women. And, um, and he has kind of admitted guilt, um, and said that the rumours are true. Interestingly, though, he spent he and his, um, manager have spent the last few years actively silencing and discrediting the people that have been coming forward. And in like, as the New York Times was publishing its, um, report, which is like fact checked by lawyers and, you know, fact checkers. Like it's really it's not hearsay or anything like that. That's when they came out and that's when he decided to say, Okay, this is true. I did the wrong thing. I'm not sorry. He didn't say I'm sorry for what he did to those women. He apologised to the people that he that worked on projects with them because of how they'd be kind of like financially and professionally damaged by um the uh the stories but he didn't, and he said that what he did was wrong, but not, he didn't explicitly apologize to those women. So it's all, it's all a bit very gross. dire. Um, yeah. and,
3: but kind of like the spacey thing who was like pretty quickly dropped by house of cards yeah. and replaced from his most recent film within hours of the Louis CK stuff coming out, HBO dropped, um, shows from its on demand device and the New York premiere of his new film, which is called, I love you. Daddy was canceled. Um, as was an appearance on the late show with, uh, Stephen Colbert. And I'm not, yeah, I've I think Netflix also
1: um, just came out and said that they're not going to do a follow up for his stand up one man stand up thing. So it's like yeah, it seems like pretty overwhelming. Uh, the only thing that I will say is that like a lot of um late night hosts have been like conspicuously quiet about it. So a lot of these like brands are like distancing themselves from him, but like personalities in comedy, particularly Men in comedy late night are not making those kind of kind of distancing moves. But also the apology was super weird Uh, because it kept on saying, it mentioned like three times how much these women admired him, and it was like, (laughs) what are you talking about? Why is this relevant? It's just like one of
3: those, I'm sorry you were offended by this. I'm sorry you're upset by the thing that I did that wasn't meant to be upsetting.
1: Yeah, I mean it's just been week after week of disappointing news. But don't let it ruin your faith in men. You need look no further than um, <laughs> the collection of Birkham bags that Drake has been amassing for his imagined future wife to know that not all men are trash. It's just super weird and I love it <laughs> and part of me just wants to move in with Drake and have all his of back and backs. So. Yeah but how
3: would you feel if you started dating someone and they had a collection of bags waiting for you that they I'd just like, thought that you'd like? Sweet. <laughs> it's
1: odd but I can roll with it. I feel, like, I
3: feel like it's the same as someone like having a wedding dress ready and waiting.
1: I mean I'm not gonna lie I'm quite confused by Drake but I just like <laughs> love all of his feelings. Just that line like if you had a twin, I would still choose you. I'm like, that is such a weird thing to say (laughs) to somebody. You don't make sense, but I just, you do.
3: (laughs) Um, In other news, the last print issue of Teen Vogue was guest edited by Hillary Hillary Clinton, which is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, But don't worry, it's still on the internet and we'll post a link up online to that.
1: Yeah, so let's wrap it up with some very good and totally unsubstantiated news. Rihanna might be coming to Australia. (laughs) We can't actually confirm this, but we have heard rumours. So I feel like... (laughs) We're just going to take it. (laughs) We're kind of
3: just the rumor mill
1: on Agenda. Yeah. It could or could not be happening, but let's just cross our fingers and hope that it's real.
3: Stick around for thoughts that count up next, where we're asking how in 2017 you split the bill on your first date. Let us know what you think and who you think should pay for the bill. 0409 945 945. I'm going to take a track now from Yeji with Rain Girl. You're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio. Rain make it, Rain Girl make it.
5: What if it's just me? As real as it can be Sweaty walls are banging, I don't fuck with family planning Make it rain, girl, make it rain 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 Nobody can really find me Chamanaman Or oh, when I am so free to find
1: listening to Agenda on FBI Radio and this is Thoughts That Count where we want to hear from you about what you think about feminist issues. So we talk most weeks about the gender pay gap, inequality and sexism in the workplace and in the media, but today we're asking the big question, <laughs> how do you split the bill on the first
3: date? Yeah, there was a study that came out in 2016 that found that 59% of women agreed that a man should always offer to pay for the first date in a hetero dating land. Um, let us know what you think on 0409 945 945 in any relationship, not just a um, hetero relationship.
1: Yeah, um, that's study was did come out of America and I was kind of thinking um, that the thinking around money and dating are a little bit different between Australia and um, and America or at least I thought I did um, when I lived in New York I was really surprised how brazen um, women were about not paying for dates in general not just the first date um, and when I was waiting tables and like talking to other women that were waiting tables it was like oh yeah like first date it's kind of like a free meal and I was like so <laughs> taken bait I was so taken back by it. But I was also like, I just started dating, so I think that I was just like confused by everything and <laughs> you like the that rules. Everyone was your partner. <laughs> yeah, it's was like very fresh. But to we're getting the- married now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: um, um, I don't know. We've been chatting with people this week, and a lot of people and uh, think that there's this kind of consensus among all genders that the dude pays if there is a dude on your date, and I guess that's based on courting etiquette established when men had access to employment and women didn't.
1: Yeah, and obviously, like, employment um, and wages have changed changed between genders now in 2017. So I don't know if, like, women should pay 76 cents <laughs> to the dollar. Um, but also, if you aggregate for factors like race, the wage imbalance becomes even more stark. Um, and in same-sex relationships, are the metrics different again? So we wanted to know what your thoughts were. Um, so let us know on 0409 945 945. Otherwise, Katie and I are just going to give you a detailed, you know, history of our own dating practices. Sorry to all of our exes. Here we go.
3: <laughs> um, actually, no, there's an, before we go into our dating history, there's an American app called Equitable, formerly called Equipay, which splits the check fairly, and by fairly they mean in accordance with 500 years of racial and gender discrimination. So they take into... Um, they take all these different factors into account and then they split the cheque according to, like, gender and race. Again, that's kind of based on
1: American history, I think, so that takes into account, like, reparations and things like that. But I feel like whipping out that app on the first date might be a little (laughs) bit presumptuous. (laughs) Um, So I don't know if we should just go Dutch. I know that when I was younger, I always insisted on paying for the first date because I think I was trying to, like, (laughs) assert my dominance. So I would be like, no, I have to... um, But um, when we were writing this, I was thinking about in year 10, my boyfriend tried to buy me phone credit, which was like kind of a thing that happened. Um, And I just like lost the plot. I was like, how dare you? You will never own me. And he was like, oh my God, I just, like, wanted you to text me back. You never text me back. And I was like, oh, you're just trying to oppress me. Um, You're just, like, trying to own me financially. And he was like, I am so sorry.
3: I just wanted you to text me. You never reply
1: to my text messages. I know, I know, but I think, and I still don't, but, but, um, but I think 2017 has really broken me and all of us. I think, like, if anyone wants to pay for my phone bills now, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'll be, like, way more chill
3: about it. It is easier 10-boyfriend if you'd like to offer buy her credit. The still on the table. The offer still there. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, like, semi-recently went on a date where um, <laughs> I went to the toilet and it was with a guy and the guy paid for the entire dinner when I was in the bathroom. Mm. And I came back. The old taxi go the old go to the bathroom. <laughs> And um, again, he was like, oh yeah, yeah." I the toilet, like, I three got- <laughs> quarters of the way through, huh? <laughs> yeah. I've actually really just got to go now. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> no, it wasn't tactical, actually. It was just a, you know, moment gotta that go, had to happen. Go. Um, and I came back and he'd paid for the whole thing. And then as we were, I kind of said like a, a thank you, but an, and a semi-annoyed thank you, because I feel like it kind of took my autonomy out of that yeah. situation. And then as we were walking away, walking home, he was kind of like... Oh, um, when I paid for you, I didn't mean to assume that you couldn't pay for yourself. Uh, <laughs> I think, <laughs> so that's I think like, 2017 has everyone confused. Really. We're all confused. No <laughs> one knows what to do.
1: Everyone should stay home and get Uber Eats because it's just <laughs> like, it's tricky. It's really tricky. But well, here with her opinion is curator Chloe Hazelwood to weigh in. Oh yeah. split
3: the bill. Chloe. We're going to hear from her right now. Are we? Who knows?
6: So I've been in a same-sex relationship for seven years and I identify as bisexual. But when I used to go out on dates with men, I never felt comfortable with the expectation that they should foot the bill. If they offered to pay, I'd always insist on contributing my half. But if they were particularly insistent on paying as an act of goodwill and generosity, I'd humbly accept it and let them know I'd be covering the next meal or round of drinks. I guess all these messages about men needing to be the breadwinner played in my mind as a young woman on the dating scene, and I was keen to challenge that idea by paying my way. Now, my partner and I base uh, what we pay for on how much we earn, which seems to be the most egalitarian approach for us. But I imagine if I were to still be dating men, I'd want to be able to have an open and honest discussion about money matters once it came to paying the bill and would also make sure that we both agreed on a restaurant that was affordable.
7: As someone who has been...
3: That was uh, curator Chloe Hazelwood with her thoughts on how to split the bill. Um, we also got a text from Jojo Winton, who <laughs> says that definitely split the bill. If we want equality, then it has to translate across all areas of relationships.
1: Thanks, yeah, Mum. Yeah, <laughs> I think um, what Chloe was saying, thank you, Jojo, as well. Um, what Chloe was saying about um, that those kind of ideas of the breadwinner is really important. And I know that like in my first relationship, I was like, I had a full time job and my partner didn't. And so I just took so much pleasure in like being able to like take somebody out and like do those things. But I also got to choose like everywhere that we went. Yeah, and it was kind of there's a lot of power in being the breadwinner and being able to define your relationship and even what you do. And I think that, like, once that dynamic changed, I felt, like, really disempowered. And it, like, it was kind of a shot at my ego because I was like, no, I want to pick everything.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I think... Yeah. I don't know. I think I had a similar experience, but the other way in one of my like longest relationships where I was dating, I was in, I was a uni student and he had a full-time job and earned a lot more than me and kind of paid for most things and even like paid more rent at one stage. And it, kind of killed me because I think the expectation that he had around that was that I would do more domestic work. And I was kind of like, what is this? Like, I'm not going to do more cleaning because you have more money, which, Mm. uh, yeah, I don't know, I think can be something that I find quite terrifying in those situations where I feel like regardless of the gender pay gap, I feel like financial security or financial independence yeah. means you're like, is signif- signif- like signifying independence in general mm. and the ability to kind of have your own autonomy in that relationship, which I think is really important.
1: Yeah, I think autonomy is really important. And it's also because of our kind of maybe our British roots or something like that. We're just like terrified of talking about money and having like frank discussions about what our expectations are and yeah. things like that. So I think that factors into it too. And not so much in kind of like a gendered way, just in like a cultural way mm. We're like Yeah, it's very awkward.
3: We also heard from Sam Ecott, uh, who is a Sydney-based media and events producer who works at Heaps Gay and is also a part of the Ears Have Ears program here on FBI Radio. So we're going to listen to what Sam had to say.
7: As someone who has been in relationships with boys and girls, I sense the societal pressure to pay for women more when dating. Um, It's something that we avoided pretty well and we're conscious of. But I think there's definite pressure there, mostly from family but also a little bit from friends, which kind of surprised me. Um, My current partner and I, who is male, uh, usually keep things pretty balanced. Um, I make more money than him, but a large percentage of his is disposable, so he sort of ends up paying for a decent amount. It does balance out, I think, but in general he pays for more, I I reckon. Um, Like, I make up for that with decent gifts and that kind of thing when I can, but... Yeah, I think it's definitely a little bit more skewed uh, towards him paying for things. Um, it seems to me split kind of comes down to a lot of factors, but the times that I've paid for more when I've had considerably less of the other person, I think has definitely come down to societal pressure in situations and us kind of, you know, bending to that. And, Also, us feeling a bit weird about that.
3: That was Sam Ecott with his thoughts on how to split the bill in 2017. Text us your thoughts on who you think should pay on the first date, 0409 945 945. Uh, I think it's kind of looking like you just split it (laughs)
1: 50-50. I feel like there's so many different, maybe just for the first date and then you can become a bit more.
3: I think it also depends on what you classify as a date and whether people even date anymore. Okay, so somebody
1: told me a date is when <laughs> you meet after 7 o'clock at a defined <laughs> location and you weren't going to meet up with them anyway. Do you know what I mean? Like, Who you told to- you this? My old housemate. She's like, I've only been on two dates in my whole life. I'm like, I feel like you go on dates all the time. And she's like, no, a date is when someone picks you up and it's after 7 <laughs> o'clock and you go to a defined location.
3: Interesting. That's a day. Keep that in mind. Uh, also, we're gonna play you a track right now from Bikini Kill called Feels Blind. Um Bikini Kill played a song recently at the kitchen in New York City. They reunited um on the final night of a three-night event surrounding the release of Pitchfork editor Gene Pelley's new 33 and one-third book about the Raincoat self-titled album. Um and Kathleen Hannah took to the stage with Kathy Wilcox and Toby Vale to uh stage to perform for Tammy Ray. So we're not going to play that song because we don't have it in very good quality. <laughs> but we're going to play Feels Blind. Um, stick around for our interview with Liz Hamm about her book, Punk Girls, up next. Kill just there with Feels Blind. We're joined now by Liz Ham, who is author of Punk Girls, um, which is a book documenting the Australian punk movement and most importantly, the female identifying people that inha- inhabit the many different subcultures of punk. Thanks so much for joining us, Liz. Thank you so
8: much for having me. This is a
3: pleasure.
1: Yeah, thanks for coming in. We were wondering um, how you were involved with the Australian punk scene before starting this project in particular and how your perception of the culture of punk has maybe changed
8: over the course of shooting the book. Um, so I guess I've always been quite immersed in um, counterculture and and subcultures, like since I was a, you know, fledgling fourteen year old in Doc Martens and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I guess, and and my ideas around like what punk were then and what they are now are very very different for sure. Like I feel like there's been an amazing evolution, and um, and specifically for women and female identifying people, you know, that can sort of find punk now to be a really invigorating place and a really intersectional space for them to feel really, you know, empowered and really, really held within that community. So I think punk is, um, yeah, definitely changing, evolving, morphing all the time. So that wasn't the case in the past, you feel? Uh, Look, it's hard to say. Like, I, I was never really, like, fully immersed in the punk scene as a teenager, but I guess I touched on it in many different ways and... I, you know, I felt like I was very much in that whole like 90s grunge world, which um, was a real bro land in so many ways. And thank God for Riot Girl, Mm -hmm. because that really changed things up a lot. Like I remember going to gigs and feeling like, yes, now finally I can can stage dive. I can do this thing. I'm I'm just going to get in there and have fun. And um, so that was like really, really empowering as well for me as a teenage girl. Um, that yeah.
1: legacy of Riot Girl as well is still so kind of like alive now at oh, the women in yeah. electronic music. There's still that yeah. idea of like girls and like women of color to the front and like
3: trans women. It's still like totally there. and maybe more like, intersectionally kind of absolutely. focused now, which is really amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, how did Punk Girls start? Like, how did the project kind of come um, about?
8: So the project kind of started really organically. I was doing a lot of um, photo shoots that were kind of more fashion you know, style and more and more they were getting to be a little bit more punk-infused and darker and a bit more goth. And um, at the same time, I was kind of really wanting to work on a portrait series and get this amazing big large format camera. And I think I probably just started noticing more and more punks around me and women and amazing, inspiring people and and thinking, you know, what is there out there about them in the past? And I found there was very little, like, very little really focused material and imagery about the women, especially the first wave women. And um, I thought, well, let's, you know, let's just start collecting their stories and making these amazing portraits and not augmenting them, showing them as they are. And, you know, so that's kind of where it, um, how it all sort of started. And I was just going to do like a tiny zine and then it just got bigger and bigger, and then I was like, okay, I'm going to do 100 portraits, and, and so now it's bigger than that. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's, it's even more than 100 portraits, plus documentary, photography, and um, and still some fashion imagery in the book as well. And some music, like some live music. Yeah, like I love going well. to like, you know, gigs and documenting um, the women on stage, the audience, and, and also the bands off stage and in their own sort of like private kind of reveries and that kind of stuff yeah Yeah. I think
3: it's interesting that lack of documentation or that lack of history especially in terms of Australian history like there's a lot of American kind of uh, material right and we all see like you know the
8: typical London stuff yeah and and we know about Patty and we know about Debbie Harry but and and Susie and but we don't really know about those other smaller um under the radar bands and they just didn't get much of a look in at the time you know it was very very marginalised Um, So um, can you tell us about some of your maybe highlights from this project? Um, Highlights would be, for me, the connections that I've made with so many of these subjects. Um, And that's on like both a a really um, personal level, like I've made some amazing friendships. And then also in a fangirl sense, like, (laughs) because I'm such a fangirl, I lose my... You know, proverbials when <laughs> I'm around people that I think are amazing. I but think that's the same as us. Absolutely. All agenda is really. <laughs> oh, it's just so much fun to have that in, to be able to go, hey, I have this project and, um, and I have this, you know, reason that I can approach you now. And mm. it's just been wonderful being able to meet, you know, people like Jenny Bannister, like this, inc- you know, the incredible Australian fashion designer, and so many of the women in the music that I've met with and, and photographed. It's been awesome.
3: And some of your, some of the images that like based on, um, like more historical kind of imagery, yes. right? Can yeah. you talk to us a little bit about um, that? Yeah, so
8: that, that's the kind of fashion element of the book. Um, so I guess for me, like the idea of like using models um, is primarily because the models I have selected in the first place are girls I know really well that 100% personify punk inside. Um, so it's kind of this like play, playing up, dressing up, acting out, acting um, out, that kind of that, which I think is really punk in itself, so the process of doing those photo shoots is just really about just that kind of like nostalgic playfulness and and yeah, liberation think, that punk is like
1: yeah, that and that comes through in that I haven't read it all, but you, what you were talking about with the essay about that particular moment of teenagehood and yep. like discovering punk and playing and yes. like not having, not being so constricted by the Patriot or not even being cognizant of it. And yep. so having that freedom and that kind of, that idea of play is
8: really interesting yeah. and really like punk. <laughs> really punk. I mean, because there's so many politics around punk, but there's mm. also so much like I, I gave every girl a and a to fill out and they would talk about like what punk meant to them and the, you know, the overriding theme was freedom. Um, but there's also this idea of just, like, fun and play that mm. was really, um, really resonant. And so that's kind of, yeah, that's what that's all about. Yeah. yeah.
3: <laughs> You're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio. We're talking to Liz Hamm about um, the book that is going to be released very soon Yep. Next punk Girls <laughs> next week. Um, we're going to take a track now from High Tension called High Risk High Rewards. Stick around for more chats about Punk Girls up next. <laughs> That was High Tension with High Risk, High Rewards. You're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio. We're joined by Liz Hamm in the studio right now, um, who actually worked with High Tension for her upcoming book, Punk Girls. Liz, can you tell us a little bit about what you documented with that band?
8: Um, Yeah, so I've been a massive fan of High Tension, in particular Karina Utomo, um, for a while. And... Went to see them play a great show with Camp Cope actually at Manning Bar, which was awesome. Took some photos there, but didn't actually get to meet Karina. I was having, I think, I was a bit shy. And then the next day, I was booked to do a shoot, um, some stills on a video, and she was actually the um, the. Um a you know, presenter for that so I was like whoa this is just incredible so I got to spend a whole day with her and it was all about feminism the entire um, doco that we were working on and so then I hooked up with her in Melbourne, did some portraits of her at her home with her beautiful dog Raekwon and just had this gorgeous afternoon with Karina and she's just got to be like one of the most inspiring women in punk in Australia today like without a doubt she's amazing, like her politics alone and um, the fact that I think that she is able to hold this particular space that she does in a really, really heavy scene um, and when you watch her perform she is so respected she hardly deals with any like sexism at all in, in those um in those yeah, performances, it's quite amazing. I'm not quite sure how how she's managed to do that because I see a lot of other situations yeah. going on. And, you know, we all heard the stories about women being, like, you know, pissed on in mosh pits and stuff. But she's just, I think, quite a, quite a force and an amazing role model for women.
3: We talked a little bit before about Emma Price's essay in the book. Yes. Um, and Emma talks a lot about reclaiming the word girl in terms of, like, queer, trans and um, uh, gender-fluid communities in the punk scene. And I was wondering what the use of the word girl... Was like, or whether it was contentious when you were like photographing people?
8: Yeah, I mean, I use both words, punk and girl, very loosely. Um, and I mean, for punk, for me, the the word was basically just to inspire. You know, the subjects. Like, do you have you ever related to punk in any way, shape, or form? And again, with girl, it's very much about like, do you identify? as a girl. You don't have to be a girl. You don't have to be a young woman. You could be an older woman. There's an age range of sixteen to sixty plus in the book. And yeah, it's pretty much just about, you know, femme identifying people. Yeah. Maybe the ethos more
3: of girl than it is. Exactly. Being a, yeah. yeah.
8: Um and we were talking before
3: a little bit about sorry. Did you wanna No, no, I
1: was just saying that kind of comes up
3: with women in the arts as well. Like it, yes.
1: it's um one of the questions that we're often asked is like how do you keep it for women when really it's like a it's a kind of rallying thing to bring people in rather than to keep it uh, out. I think like girl is one of those quite amorphous terms that is more kind of about bringing people to an idea. Exactly. And liberating it around, yeah.
3: And and you mentioned before about the questionnaire that you gave to people yes. when you photographed them. What kind of things did you ask them?
8: Um, again, really, really open questions that were quite basic, actually, and quite simple because um, I just wanted it to be, again, very broad. And I wanted it to be able to, um, you know, women of any kind of demographic or socioeconomic or educational background to be able to answer those questions. So it's very simple, like very basic stuff like age, career, you know, occupation. But then, um, you know, how do you define punk? Um, what's it like being a punk girl what's your favourite song you know Mm -hmm. really cute stuff but then um, some women answered you know basically just like, you know, one-liners and others were were like, okay, no, I've got to really work on this and get this back to you. And I've had some amazing, amazing, like, incredible written pieces. So, unfortunately, they're not in the book because there was just not the space to have a 400-page book. But um, That's kind of
3: amazing, though, that you had too much content. Way too much. (laughs) And there's
8: thousands of images that aren't even in there. But I'm hoping to, um, in the future, for these um, incredible written stories to be either online um, and also possibly archived um, yeah, there's been some interest from the State Library to hold them in their archives, which is wonderful.
3: Yeah, because they have a complete protest archive as well, I think, the State Library. I have heard that, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, there are a few events coming up in yes. alignment <laughs> with the book yep. launch. Can you tell us a little bit about what's happening or where people can go to...?
8: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would say first and foremost, if people want to find out about all the events, it might be simpler if they jump online and either go to... Um, the Facebook page which is just Punk Girls Book and there's heaps of information on there but there'll be a book signing next week on the 16th at Better Red Than Dead and then a big official launch party on the 23rd of November at Sun Studios and there'll be performances and DJs and free booze and, <laughs> and I'm having some photographs up on the wall and um, there'll be some great merchandise available as well Amazing. so yeah really fun I just want to get everyone together as well like in that sense of community that you know that I have encountered and and loved so much through doing this project i want to bring all these women together
3: yeah i feel like the project sounds like it has been really important in terms of community so yeah that's super exciting thank you so much liz for coming in to talk to us
8: my pleasure thank you for having me
3: um (laughs) we're going to leave you with this track from mere women called numb